This is Season 2, Episode 3 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode, Rival Adventuring Parties, or You Beat Me to the Punch. Welcome again to Mastering the RPG. As I said, we're all about maximizing your game with advice, ideas, cool stuff, sound, emails, strong opinions, all that good stuff. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James. You'll find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. You can send us email or feedback or questions at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Both of those are one word. Uh, So tonight we're missing... Our Eric, he's not here. He's had uh, an important, another important thing that he had to take care of, another matter. And uh, but I got James here, so it's just us tonight. How you feeling tonight, James? G'day, Carl. Yeah, I'm good. Just the two rivals ready to go. So we, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that leads into um, we are going to talk about rival adventuring parties tonight, but we do have an email. Tonight we got an email from Gary. Uh, Thank you, Gary. Uh, Let's read that out. He's got a question. Uh, He mentions I've been playing and GMing tabletop RPGs since the nineteen since about nineteen seventy eight, and you guys all give me things to consider and contemplate. Well, I appreciate that. I really enjoyed the last show. Currently, I'm playing one game of Deadlands. Must be Savage Worlds, yes, Savage Worlds, and running one public game and at a local game store. The one I'm playing online with my with old Navy buddies from the '80s. We all know each other pretty well, so the game is easier. And he puts that in quotes. The one at the store is a little challenging. When I ask them how the game is going and what they want from it, the mostly I get, "It's all fine. We are happy." While on the surface, this is great. It doesn't tell me a lot. Part of the issue might be that this is a public game. Have, public games have fluctuating players as well as a small core group. Here's the question. I'm wondering what your guys take on pulling out more robust responses from a group like this might be. How do we get those better responses than it's okay, it's fine? James, what do you think? This, this one's yeah, got good, a nice one that question. you know all about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, look, and I've talked about this in the past with uh, in in other in other broadcasts as well. But um, <clears throat> great question, and it's often difficult because to tease out some really quality information from your players, they might not know what they what they're more interested in, or what they what they might be, um, you know, or what could be improved. And generally, let's face it, you know, TTRPGs are fun, and if they're having a good time, well, why why mess with it? But one of the things I have mentioned in past podcasts is, is this idea of stars and wishes. I grabbed it from Sly Furish, who's, who's one of my kind of uh, touchstones and where I get a lot of my information. Um, and this is uh, how to kind of solve an open-ended question. Like, are you having a good time? Is there anything that I could change? Are both yes and no answers. Um, the use of stars and wishes, I think, is is a good way to gauge uh, how the characters are seeing, how the players are seeing the game, and what they're what they're looking forward to. So the question I ask all of my games about once every six weeks or so is, what's been the best thing that's happened in the game in your mind in the last six weeks? 
And this can be for your core group, but it could be for players that drop in and drop out. And the nature of their response when they have to think about that, though, and 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 you might need to prompt them a little bit more. What's been the great? What's been the best scene? What where where have you had the most fun? It then allows you to get a sense of what type of player they are and what they've enjoyed. And so it's it's kind of a repeatable thing. So I've got a group that when I asked this for last week have have come back with we really love downtime activities that go a little bit awry. We like to have that breathing space between between adventure modules. The other one is a wish, and this might be a little bit tricky. You might get a, not quite as many good responses, but what do you wish would happen in the next six weeks? That, to me, can be we, we want more combat or I'd like a magical weapon or, or something like this, but it is does give you an insight into what the player is looking for out of the game, what kind of player they might be. So for me, stars and wishes, asking those two questions is the easy way to do it. There's yeah. other things too that you might consider in terms of asking in in there's some logistical issues about the game play like you know is the setup okay Are you enjoying playing in the store is it too noisy how can we change uh, other time frames right there's those kind of questions that you can coax out as well um, but for me it's it's those two big ones it's stars and wishes um, yeah. the yeah. other thing that I've been asking lately of my players has been in far more game mechanical stuff. Which is which has also been very helpful. Where, and I'm I'm not I haven't played Deadlands in 25 years, so uh, I'm not sure whether it translates very well. But it it is asking them what are items, powers, what other things would you like for your character, and the other thing that I've been doing lately is asking the players to tell the other players of the cool things that their character might have just developed into. So, hey, why don't you tell us the the, the, the great new spell that you uh, – what's your favourite spell out of the new ones that you learned? Or what, what is the new ability that you're most happy about now that you've levelled up? All of these questions kind of give you an idea about what kind of player they are and what kind of thing they might be enjoying into the future. Um, Gary said he was long-winded. I think I'm even more long-winded. I, I hope that kind of answers the question a little bit. What do you think, Carl? Well, the only thing, I think that was brilliant. The only thing that I would add just to really clarify is the thing with stars and wishes um, that the takeaway is it's all positive, right? What did you like? Yeah. What would you like more of? Or not, well, this was bad. You know, what was bad about mm. the game? It was all about what what did you enjoy and what could you enjoy more if we did more of it? So I think that's that makes it easier for people to, to I think, talk. People like to be more positive than negative generally, I think. So um, so that that's that's the great thing about stars and wishes. But otherwise, I think you handled it brilliantly. Honestly, James, good stuff. No worries. Thanks for the thanks for the email, Gary. Keep them coming. Yep, we love them. We love them. So, um, well, uh, we don't have any cool stuff today. Um, there's plenty out there, I'm sure. But we're going to go right into our main topic. Mystery all right everybody welcome to the main topic tonight again as i mentioned we are going to talk about rival adventure parties adventuring parties now the obvious question that comes up right away is what do we mean by a rival adventuring party and, and i'll throw mine in right away um what i always talk about is another group of adventurers that are going after the same goal or some contrary goals. Um, you know, classic could be a different set of runners in cyberpunk, could be a rival group of bandits in Deadlands, for example. Could be just a good old-fashioned adventuring party going after the same loot. Could be families in an intrigue game of the courts. Could be a lot of things. 
but in the end they're 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 going to be interacted with and they're going to be part of this overall narrative they're not just a big bad evil guy so i'm maybe jumping ahead a little bit uh, um james what do you think what do you what do you mean when you think of a rival venturing party yeah absolutely it's a it's that it's that mirror isn't it it's the mirror of your adventurers that is kind of a similar vein to the adventuring party but in conflict or in competition with them in a rivalry that that you're hoping will expect will will, will take place over you know a protracted period of time it's not necessarily you know the the other group of adventurers in the bar when when the bar brawl breaks out but it's more about this kind of group that you will be competing against in a section of your campaign when i think of rivals i think of uh, i i immediately am drawn to belloc and indiana jones in yeah, my sure. thinking of what a rival might be because they're after similar things um with similar resources and they're they're equally um, matched against each other. The other fun one that I was thinking about when I was thinking about a rival adventuring party. I don't know if you guys have seen these films over in the states. We we're in love with the uh, with British uh, comedy here in Australia. So there's a fantastic movie called Shaun of the Dead, where very popular where, in the states uh, too. Yeah, where the, where their group happens upon an, an almost identical group of adventurers when they're trying to make it back to the pub for zombies. So it's it's this kind of it, it, it's uh, it's it's not necessarily enemies. It's rivals where you could have different interactions with them not necessarily only combat interactions so so very uh, it's a very cool concept and, and we're going to explore it a little bit um more so but why so why is it interesting i say it's an interesting concept but what makes it interesting from a, a campaign why would you want to do this as a game master sounds like a lot of work <laughs> so what what's so interesting about it um, what do you think, James? Well, it's different in that it, it is interesting. I mean, the, for me, there's there's a, a whole heap of reasons why you would use this. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the main reasons is is it adds time pressure or a level of urgency. So I guess let's let's think about this in a number of different ways. And I and I've run rival uh, adventuring parties in a couple of games that I've in in the past year. One was a rival set of courtiers in a court situation on a on a um, on a game called Court of the Shadow Fay, which was a, a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game, and so they had uh, a rival group of political machinations that they had to work against. The the most recent one that I'm running at the moment is from uh, Critical Role, where they've they've published an adventure called. Uh, uh, called Call of the Nether Deep, which has an established rival group of adventurers. So why would you put this in your game? Um, for me, it's the main reason is uh, well. There's three main reasons for me. The first one is it adds a level of time pressure and urgency to what your players will do. In that, if you don't achieve what the players are setting out to achieve before the rivals do then you will fail. So if we look at the Indiana Jones uh, um, example, if you don't find the Ark of the Covenant before Belloc does, then you're in a whole heap of trouble. Um, so that that's that's number one, which is it just pushes players and, and, and the characters to achieve their goals a lot quicker. Would you agree, yeah. Carl? Is that that's on your list? I think that that definitely is the number one of the number ones there is it, it, you can't languish about you. There's something going on and it's going to go on whether you do something or not. And so that, so that gives another source. What that means is that there's a source of world, a living world aspect it brings to the table as well. And that's always a challenge, right? To make your world 
not seem static where when the adventurers appear, the world starts spinning, and when they disappear, everything just stops. We don't want that. Yes. We want something that feels like it's a living world that these things are going on. And an arrival adventuring party very much can provide that that feeling, right? Because things happen. You didn't get there in time. They got there in time. Something happened. You went to the shop. Stuff wasn't there that you thought was going to be there because the rival adventure party came and cleared them out of healing potions before you ever got there. The world is alive. So that's kind of a second one. Um, and then that leads to adventuring hooks. Um, that's the last one. Is It's really finding and thwarting the rival's plans become now something that the players want to do. It, it they, they're going to make that decision because the basically the rivals are, are ticking them off and it's it's time we take care of this issue and we get ahead of them and we can't sit around and we can't just wait for danger to come to us. We have to go after it. So um, those are kind of the big ones I think about. What do you, uh, what do you, James, uh, is there anything absolutely. else you I mean, think this, about that? It, it's such a strong motivation, isn't it? Where, where if you don't thwart the rival, then, then you're coming second in your own game, which is kind of, it's something, you know, in role-playing games, it's not overly a competitive thing. And we always, we tend to be a collaborative group against a big, bad, evil guy. And this adds an, another level of competition where, where um, the, it, it provides a really fertile ground for um, for uh, adventure hooks. I, I want to go back to your second point, though, Carl, because I, I, for me this is the main reason why you would run a rival group. It really, really brings the world to life because essentially what you're doing is you're introducing um, a group of players in which you will – a group of characters in which you'll be role-playing, and you're role-playing different religions, you're role-playing different factions, you're role-playing different uh, races, you're role-playing different classes, you're, you're kind of providing a, a whole heap of deep world-building lore that can come through these guys, you know. So uh, in Courts of the Shadowfey, for example, there was a rival court. I was able to do a lot of great role-play about what the different political feeling was between this rival and and and, and what the nuance is in the world. Um, in, in Call of the Netherdeep, um, there are religious differences that you're able to really talk through about, um, you know, there's a, a fanaticism that goes on with the rivals that allows you to really set up some more description of the world than you might normally do. It, it allows you to do some direct RP that really brings your world building to the fore. And, and I think it's amazing, um, amazing technique to not necessarily law dump, but make your law live through these diverse characters that you'll be playing when you role play a, a rival group. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. I mean, uh, the fact that you can dole out um, lore and information about the setting through somebody who's part of the setting, as opposed to, like you say, just a dump of out-of-character descriptions and out-of-character, well, you guys know this. Well, now you do know it because you RP'd with another group from another place who has similar goals, maybe they're they're rivals, and so they're giving information out that you know that your players now think, hey, they gave something away they shouldn't have gave away, and look at what we know now, and it it it, it adds that intrigue. Um, so it's it's very cool. I, I think um, I've only run an, uh, a rival a party once, uh, and it was just a heap of fun because in this group the goals were identical, so it was almost. It was a race to the end. So you think of like yep. the Indiana Jones example. They were going after multiple parts of the same uh, 
you know, think of the rod of many parts kind of thing, right? They were, they were looking for the same sort of things. And if one got it before the others, now they have to work together or they have to interact with each other to somehow, somebody's got to end up with all of them, but how do they do that? You yep. know, in, in a way that's interesting. And that leads almost to the, the guidance on, on, um, Call of the Netherdeep is is identical too, by the way. Call of the Netherdeep, the, the rivalry is about a magical item and that magical item changes hands as the rivalry continues. So, you know, if the group end up with it, then the rivals will try and steal it in the night. If the rivals end up with it, then the group's going to try and steal it in the night. So it kind of builds onto each other so that there's multiple interactions with these rivals as the campaign goes, competing for the same item. It's It's great. It's a really good setup. And and does that adventure so just from I'm just fascinated now. So does that it provides those opportunities for people to steal or or they're they're close enough to each other continuously that they can that that can happen. And that probably leads yeah, a little bit into the guidance, but I, I'm really interested in it, it how that's set up. It does a little bit. I, I must admit, I, I was quite impressed with how they've written this in. What they in each of the chapters, it, it it makes the assumption that the players will be supreme in in the, in that they'll beat the rivals at every step. But they do go into quite a good amount of detail in each chapter that talks about. But if the if they're too late, if they take more than 20 turns to do this, if it takes more than a day to get from point A from point B, then the rivals will have done it and this is the outcome. So the whole adventure has multiple pathways plotted out and written out about what happens if the rivals beat you, which is it's really great. And, and it goes for almost the entirety of the adventure. So it isn't just a little dip in, dip out. This rivalry continues for um, to be honest, it'll for when I'm running it for my group that started last week. Um, this will be going for 12 months that they'll have a rivalry with this with this um, opposite uh, adventuring party, and I can't wait. It looks really really fun. Very cool. That that's awesome. So that leads us right into I think we uh, start thinking about the guidance. So you're going to you you've bought in right. So you're it's interesting. You want to do it. You're excited. Um, how do you pull it off? How do you make it happen? Um, you know, the first thing I just wanted to mention, and I mentioned it before, is you just have to make sure you think of the party, this other party, as antagonists. They're competition. Um, you need to, as a game master, kind of couch those interactions in that. Don't make them evil, um, just like absolute yeah. evil, because then they're just the big bad evil guy that the players want to go and and kill. You want them to be interesting in a sense that they're competition, they're going, they're rivals, but you know, in the end, they're not, they're not evil in a sense. There's, there's, and this is tough, right? Cause this is where you need to role play. Um, it, you have to role play it kind of as, yes, we're, we're, we're your rivals. We're against you in a way, but we're, we're not, out to just kill you you know this isn't games of thrones where you come in my court and i'm just going to kill you outright so why would you ever do that so <laughs> it's really yeah absolutely it's really absolutely so and the risk isn't it the risk is here here's a rivalry of, of four or five alternative adventurers the risk is that your players draw swords and it's all over within a minute right so so you have to remove that that direct aggressive confrontational violence from the mix immediately in order to be able to develop the rp develop the interaction and and develop them as a as a group that is a rivalry rather than an enemy 
So what's uh so what's the good what's a good way of of pulling that off to start that interaction or or you know they're coming together that first time they're interacting with each other um, it's not in the background right that's the other thing that you know this rival is front and center as part of the adventure it's not something going on in the background where you never really see it and you never really interact with it you're going to interact with these folks so so James. How do we keep them from going murder hobo right away on your yeah. on those rivals? Um, there's there's a few techniques that I've used in the past, and one and again the ones that I'm setting myself up to use for Call of the Nether Deep. Technique one is we you really need to make these characters interesting and make them alive, so that they've got personality quirks. Um, you know that you've got a very clear idea of of who they are, and that they're not necessarily all one dimensional. So that you might have some more accessible, friendly people within it. You might have some more stern ones, but they're not kind of gruff, uh, hard-edged, reluctant-to-talk kind of characters. You need to have them with the ability to RP. You need to have them somewhat approachable. The second one for me is have it so that it's it's set up in a way that doesn't allow for immediate confrontation. Absolutely, yeah. So... In my courtier intrigue, for example, despite the fact that the courtiers were literally on the opposite faction and potentially in league with evil, I made sure that that first engagement happened in a place that was protected, in that it was a, a neutral festival where no violence was to be tolerated. Um, it, it, there was some repercussions for if you drew swords there, and the whole thing was set up as a as a losing face reputational kind of interaction rather than a, a violent interaction. And Call of the Netherdeep does it in a similar way in that it's set in a small town with a heavy um, armoured garrison so that, you know, if a brawl broke out, it would be broken up by the soldiers rather than turn into a deadly encounter where you would kill the rivals on first contact. So protecting the rivals a little bit and then making them interesting. So to allow you to get past that first interaction and get into the good stuff, which is the role-playing and bits and pieces. Um, there as mechanically, you could do things as well, which is a little bit cheaty, you know, make sure that the, <laughs> that the rivals are a good deal more powerful than the than the player characters as well so that do you think that really will stop player characters these well lots of times folks will go and they'll say oh look a dragon and i'm first level but i'm still going to attack it because that's just what i'm still going to attack it (laughs) It, yes that's true but i guess if you have your rivals strong enough and tough enough that they may be able to survive the first couple of rounds of combat in order to start the conversation of, hey, I wasn't in for this, you know, you know you're know, you all a bit serious for me and you're able to kind of back it off a little bit without it escalating into a full violent confrontation, which is, is difficult if, if one of the guys gets one shot, you know, and then, then suddenly you're locked into a confrontation, if that makes sense. So having them robust physically enough to be able to handle it, if, With an if you have that too. trigger, if they have that trigger-happy player that just wants to fight, I think that's uh, an important thing to set up in the beginning, um, and that's kind of first contact. Anything yeah. you would add? Have, well, have, and yeah. just make sure they have an outside of it too, right? Um, just uh, if the players are that kind and they're going to go right after them, just like you said, there's something there that just stops them, backs up. You know, you can't get to them. They're just they're just going to leave, and you know they lost that opportunity to RP will come back to it, right? Because they're going to be going and doing things that go against the player's interest. 
Jones. They're going to come back. At some point, we're really going to bring them back to that conversation. So if the players decide they want to attack them day one, that's fine. Step it back. They'll just leave because they're powerful enough to get out of the situation, and they're going to come back. And it's going to be a more interesting interaction the next time. They might not be as as you know jovial, um, but again, they're not the evil guys. They're not out to crush the players. They're just out to accomplish their own their own goals. And in some cases, the players are just an annoyance to them because they're trying to accomplish their own goals as well. Um, Absolutely. But, but I love yep. the but I love the idea of neutral ground that's you know if if they if they're forced to not draw swords and they have to talk it's a great opportunity to have build up that relationship because i think that's the big thing right is make sure that this is a recurring thing they're they're coming back they're seeing them again and again and they're building a relationship because these are hopefully interesting npcs and so this relationship they're learning more about them so the the quirkiness of of the one character that they're talking to is is interesting and it's compelling but in the end hey this person is against me but boy they're interesting i just i I love talking to this group um because they've got a lot of fun stuff to to go through so um and and he could and they can love to hate them too which is fine like oh that guy is damn annoying and you know if if it wasn't for the guard here i would slap him silly but it it's still an interesting character that they're role-playing with yeah so so recurring um and make personalize them for for sure um you know the the and I think you mentioned it, James, that each one could have their own interesting personality that you don't want them to be cardboard cutouts, um, you know, all one yeah, big you, entity. So go ahead. Yeah, you don't want it to be a, a, a true mirror. You don't want, you know, you don't want them, oh, you, you've got a brooding rogue, so therefore there's a brooding rogue. You know, you don't want to be doing that. You want you want to uh, provide these with, with full colour. One, one thing that I love to look at in rival groups is, the Montague and Capulet kind of setup, the Romeo and Juliet vibe, where they're yes, you're a rival house, but there can be friendships that can be formed between rivalries. So particularly look for those players or the or the characters that aren't as broody, confrontational, haughty, aggressive, that might be more collaborative as the player might be a collaborative player or the character in particular might be really interested in lore, you know, so you might have the two wizards of the group getting together and starting to share notes between the rival. And, and, and so I like to look for opportunities where you can start the seeds of friendship, start the seeds of friendship between the rivals. So that again, if, if all hell does break out and, and you have this issue of, of confrontation, then you have a voice of reason. Go, no, 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 that guy's okay. Hey, let's step it back a bit so that you provide different touch points, different layers. Because ultimately, I think what you would find when you when you bring a rival group in, there are going to be people that will be headstrong oppositional to the rival. And you probably have the haughty person in the rivalry too that says, I don't, I don't care about you either. You need to temper that with with both the player on the player character side and the NPC on the NPC's character side that has the opportunity to try and bind them together if you can find one. That's very, that's very interesting. I, that's for a game master is, is very light hand, right? To, to you, that's going to be tough, but it's very fascinating to have, how do you get these rivals, you know, uh, connect, you know, somebody connected together, 
where they have that opportunity. They're sharing notes or they're, they're interacting in a positive way while this overall, um, you know, uh, toughness of, of I, I had something similar in, in my um, Deadlands Lost Colony where it wasn't necessarily a rival, but this person, the players, they got, they were convincing one of the players to deliver something for them through an intermediary. And the players constantly were like, this guy's evil. We just can't do this for them. But they never destroyed the item. It's like, well, we'll just hide it here. And then the guy snuck around and he had other, it was all his minions trying to get them to do what he wants them to do. And every time they were like, well, we can't do that because this guy's evil. Well, it turns out he's not evil yeah. at all. He's, he's trying to make amends for evil acts he did do in the past. And he needs what the players have to basically save the world. And he wants the players yep. to help him. Um, so it's it, not quite the same, but I think it's that nuance of working together. Um, you know, the one player was kind of the voice of reason, like we should yes. at least hear him out. Let's uh, talk to this guy and oh, this minion of his. Let's we don't kill him outright. Let's understand what they're all about and you know let's meet him. And it, it's 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 tough, but it's very interesting when that when that happens. I think so. And great, it is subtle, but you, you don't have to be overly subtle with it either. I I had a um, the leader, well the leader of the rivals. It was being deliberately haughty saying, well, you're no match for us. We, we, shall, we shall endure in the end. It's nice to know you're in a good, healthy competition, but my commiseration's early. And, of course, that gets the loud people's <laughs> back up, going, we're going to crush you to nothing. And while they're having that argument, I just had an ogre just wander over to the quieter player and just go, I really like your shirt, and just change the, the focus of the of the story so that you you can show that and often you'll have to do this with the NPC you will have to be the conciliatory one that starts the side conversation with the person that you think is likely to be friend you know um, how did you do that that was impressive magic you know that kind of you have the conciliatory NPC ready to go to 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 make that friendship approach because if you if you ask if you're waiting for the players to be the friends it's probably unlikely to, to happen straight up they'll they'll go straight into rivalry and competition or or yeah or escalate right away because there's there's yep. no friendliness there at, at all so good excellent point excellent point so how do we so we're we're talking about this rivalry we're bringing people in and how do we get the players to want to keep driving forward other than there's that time frame, the overall adventure, but how do we get them to kind of, I don't know, get, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, get agitated or, you know, get cranky about this rival party that they, they really are rivals and we want to, you know, we really want to make them lose. And so that's, yeah. uh, so one of the things I mentioned was, you know, this living world, maybe they're, you know, they're coming into the area, and, you know, they're the big bad adventures, but there's already extraordinary tales of this other group that came through and solved mm. the problem that they were supposed to solve. Or, you know, I mentioned they go to the magic shop and it's already cleared out because these other party is going into the dungeon. And it's like, wait, that was our dungeon we're going into. So there's there's lots of ways of having the world when they're interacting with the world, they know those other folks are there and that there's something they're doing that it's like, well, we what we got to get there first next time next time we're going to be better and so that so that's a couple of thoughts so you have any other thoughts around that yeah i mean ultimately this takes a little bit of writing because you need to and and what you need to be writing is the touchstones of competition so 
a rivalry isn't a rivalry unless you're actually competing against each other. So exactly, have a think about what is that first competition. How what what is the thing that's going to set them up as rivals to begin with, and then what are going to be the second, third, possibly fourth competitive thing that they'll be competing against each other. Uh, and I'll keep going back to a call of the Nether Deep. There is literally a race in that game, so that uh, you, both rivals uh, have have uh, a timed race to get to a point in a dungeon. So it's like a fast clearing dungeon race where you're tr- you're tracking. Um, rounds in my rival courtiers, it was setting up for a dance, and so there was um, both a speech, a performance, and a little bit of subtle intrigue that they that everyone knew that both rivalries would be competing and would be doing a similar vein. So there, you have to set up the competitions, and then ultimately, you have to then role play a a gallant victor or a humble defeated, depending on whether the NPC wins or not, so that you can set it up for the next one. Um, because ultimately what you're doing is a long game of role play here. You're doing a, a first contact, a build, a, a, an even bigger crescendo, and ultimately we might be moving towards an actual confrontation where these guys might actually fight each other in the future. But that that end point is what you're building towards. So it's about subtle competitions and placing them in your story where you're pitting them directly against each other that's that's in my take that's uh that seems to be the best model i've used in the past yeah i think that that makes a ton of sense it's just like any other um, adventure prep right you need to know what you're trying to present and in the case of a rival party what are they trying to accomplish and how does that accomplish accomplishing that is competitive with what the players are trying to accomplish um, so yeah, absolutely brilliant. Uh, great way of stating that. Um, but what- a, a, a really good way to do this, and and is a common foe early in the piece as well. Um, you know, if if they are racing each other through a dungeon, if they are racing each other on an overland trail, if they're searching for something before the others search for it, this then they there is the possibility of them having to assist each other against a common enemy, which I think works very, very well to to kind of smooth out the relationship in a lot of ways. Um, again, I'm going to keep going back to it, sorry, but in, uh, in Call of the Netherdeep, the group that gets through the dungeon first, and there's some spoilers ahead if you're playing this game, uh, they end up fighting a monster within the dungeon and either the group can help the rivals defeat the monster or the rivals turn up in the nick of time to help the group defeat the monster so that so that there is a rivalry but they can also assist each other because as you say the rivals aren't evil the rivals are still part of the world and they can still be kind of interrupted as well so another great way to instill rivalry but also in a in a in a more collaborative way yeah I, I, and that we see that in cinema a lot right where where people come together against a common foe and once the common foe's defeated it's like all right, now we're back to, oh, thank yeah. you for defeating that. Wait, where did they go? They're already down the hallway trying to get the, trying to get the prize while we're yep. finishing up. Well, you darn, you darn rivals. Why, why would you do that? And, and the game's <laughs> afoot again. So, <laughs> um, so, so obviously we want the rivals to grow as the players grow, right? So as the player characters go up in level and get more skill, we want to make sure that the rivals also um, level up, so to speak, um, or get yep. better at what they do as time progresses so that they can continue to be 
um, arrival. They can continue to be competition and not just be steamrolled over. Um, I, I don't know if there's a lot to say about that other than, yeah, you need these folks need to grow and progress as the players grow and progress. Um, I think, uh, Call it I another think deep that too. <laughs> they, they, they do. Call it, they call it another deep provide you with multiple stat blocks as you go through each chapter so that the rivals um, increase. But there is a little trick that I've, I've already started to think about. One thing you do have to do with rivals is actually a little bit of note keeping. You do need to actually take notes about who was interacting with who and, you know, who put off what. But one thing I like to do is have the rivals learn from the adventurers. So let's say that in my court rival uh, situation, one of the groups uses a magical ability in order to persuade the crowd of their speech. The next time that they're interacting in the similar vein against the rivals, then why not have the rival with a counterspell or learning the same ability in order to you know, you don't have them static. So as you're leveling them up, it's perfectly okay, I think, for them to kind of learn from the players and then adapt to what the players are doing as well. So either a straight counter to that or adopting some of the strategies where actually you're watching the rivals in the same vein as what you would normally do. They're they're doing a similar approach. Damn it, they learn from us. You can get those kind of those elevations that aren't necessarily just straight state strats, uh, straight stats, and lets them learn. Use the sports analogy, right? The let you let your rivals watch the film, and yeah, learn 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 the players' plays um, as they as they go. So very cool, very cool. Now, what about that final confrontation when the when it all comes together? What what can a game master do to? kind of ensure that that's interesting it, it works out what do you think james what's what's some of your thoughts on that since you've gone through this a couple of times yeah it's it, it's first of all it's really epic like it's it's a huge thing if you've set this up right and you've had multiple interactions and you might have gone for months where they've been working with the rivals you may have friends that have formed but you are competitive they may have had a falling out and the group then decides, no, enough's enough. These guys have be, have turned their way to the dark side, and we do need to confront with them. I think I think you need to be set it. There's there's two ways to set it up, but ultimately it's either the end of the story or the end of the chapter where you're saying this is it. We're finishing the rivalry one way or the other. There's two ways to approach it. The first one is you end up as allies, where you're fighting against the big bad evil guy, and then you can really highlight the tragedy of when each of the rivals falls or the rival gives their, gives their life for, the, for, for one of the PCs, or they end up fighting together back-to-back back against an overwhelming horde, makes it for epic storytelling, and, and you know that you've accomplished that, that bit. Or the opposite is true when they've, they've become... Uh, the relationship's irretrievable, that for whatever reason, because of the story, that you need to have that final confrontation with them. And that's where I think you you have even more room for tragedy in the in the Montague and Capulet Romeo and Juliet vibe, where the different houses end up having to, you know, with tear in their eye, turn against each other. The friends have suddenly pick their their party over their friendship and have to fight it. So giving giving 
the final confrontation enough time. This is one that you really do want to spend a lot of time preparing because this will be a fight that you'll have wonderful little vignettes between the NPC and the PCs. There's plenty of time for soliloquies and plenty of time for, for grand statements of RP while you're in the middle of that combat. But right. um, it makes for really, really epic storytelling. But, I but these thoroughly people aren't recommend faceless, if you can do it. Right? I mean, right. a lot of big, bad, evil guys are kind of faceless and they just come in and, and you know chuckle evilly while they're inserting their plans but they're they're somewhat cardboard cutouts. These people have real lives. You know, you, the players know their history and their life, and might was part of their life. So anything that happens, you want to make sure you think about. Um, think about it. Is it's it's truly going to be a tragedy one way or the other for these players. Um, so it, and 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 will form friendships forever. You know, like if if they end up joining together then those that survive the final um the final uh, a battle you know can say you know it's been a wonderful rivalry i retire now and you know you keep the field kind of thing and so it, it makes for really great role playing and, and and it really and what's exciting is a lot of players put this kind of stuff in their backstory so they this is them actually creating that backstory as opposed to just yeah in my backstory i did this thing and so now i've got this contact you really have created this contact and if it's a chapter in a greater campaign, like you have a campaign that goes on for years and years and years, always somebody they can call on when, when the chips are down and, and remember the good old days, um, like Dragonlance, right? They all come back to the, yep. to the inn the, the, and reminisce, and then they go back on the next adventure together. And and imagine that the the rival that that stood with you against the evil guy in six months' time, and everything's in trouble, and all hell's breaking loose, and you're you're set to fail, and then out of nowhere comes the rival back again to help out for one last time. You know, you can you can bring them back, which is awesome. Very very cool. So um, so let's talk. Is there any like couple of bullets like? Um, lessons i think we hit a lot of the guidance there but any any other lessons you know a couple of quick hits that uh, a game master might want to think about um from the it's, books it's you've more, been reading more or of adventures a, more of a recap in in some ways in that in you know make these characters full and interesting try and give them a little bit of depth and personality to make them uh likable but uh but but a rival nonetheless Set it up in a nice neutral place so that the 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 opportunity for escalation and combat isn't there. Keep good notes and have the have the rivals kind of develop as you go. Um, uh, in both story and in ability, I think would be the, the the main points that I'd be looking at in setting up your rival group. Okay, I can I can never do a rival now because I don't take good notes. Oh darn! I guess I'll <laughs> never run one. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, those those are really the I think the key points. But as we do all the time on this on this podcast, we talk about players, advice for players. Now this seems very GM centric, but what can the players do to make this a fun, exciting um, turn of events? Um, my obvious one is I'll just say don't murder the rivals, but we've already covered that a little bit. Um, <laughs> don't go yeah. murder hobo. If, if the game master is presenting some interesting people, maybe interact with them before you kill them. Just it might be interesting, yeah. you know, to, to learn more about them. Um, and if, and James, like you said, if one of those folks makes an opens an avenue, like, Hey, that was a cool spell. 
how'd you do that? Let me understand. Hey, look at my look at my spell component pouch. It's really cool. What do you think about yours? Um, take that, take that, pull that hook in, and start and start talking to them and see what you can learn about them and what uh, what makes sense. Um, and drive home some yeah, yeah, and and look for commonality too. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, I mean, ultimately the role playing elements and role playing with the dungeon master and role playing the npcs is is one of the great joys of tabletop role playing games it's it's what sets us aside from computer games and what sets us aside from board games so when the when the storyteller's leaning in hard and and it's obvious that they're trying to make someone likable play the game you know kind of be open be open to the idea of having a rival um indiana jones does not aggressively fight or shoot Belloc at every opportunity. Um, true, Belloc has often got the upper hand and has got guns drawn, but it's still, it's it's certainly not rude. It's it's a rivalry. And so be look for it, look for it. And if it looks as though that's what your storyteller's presenting with you, lean on in because it's a hell of a lot of fun. True words could not be said. So excellent. <laughs> Very cool. So, hey, that I think was a, a great take on it. Um, we will, we will, uh, I will, I will keep thinking about how I can take advantage of rival adventuring parties as I, as I continue going forward. Cause it's always an interesting concept, probably not so much in this game, the space game I'm doing. Um, you know, unless the universe itself is a rival adventuring party, which it's not. Um, but we'll try, we'll see how we can incorporate that. So great work, uh, James, good, good, thoughtful advice. Um, so thanks, th- Carl, and and I'll keep you tracking on this one. I, I'm really interested in how the Call of the Netherdeep runs. I'm I'm kind of you know I've I've done this before, but I'm interested to see how it works when it's set up so well within the published adventure. So we'll we'll, we'll keep you posted about how it's tracking. We'll see how the published adventure stands up to uh, what's what's the term. Um, uh, First contact. First contact with the enemy or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. first contact with the players. Yeah, thank you. All right. Hey, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and hopefully you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about projects, support, send email, um, all that good stuff. You can send email to GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. If you have a question, need some advice, and you know Eric would love adjudicating some differences of opinion, he would love that, so... um, Join us for that. Um, And you also can catch us on Twitter at MasteringTheRPG. So if you like the show, we'd love positive uh, reviews in your podcatcher of of choice. And we'd love you to keep listening to the show and let others know about it and maybe post on social media episodes that you enjoy. So anyway, once again, this is Carl with James and normally Eric. And I'll say, hey, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys.